0: Good morning, LEFC. I want you to be um, as comfortable as possible. Um, so a couple things I've done. Um, succulent for you all. I've got my coffee. I hope you have your coffee as well. Um, and there was one other thing as I was thinking about what I could do to, to make you as comfortable as possible, and it actually came out of an injustice. I had a thought this morning that I thought was injustice, but then I realized I had the power to do something about it. So I did. I did do something about it. If you all have the option to wear pajamas, then I should have the same option. So I'm wearing my my Lumber Nick Jam Pants this morning. Not Lumberjack, they're mine, Lumber Nick, Jam Pants this morning. If you are a social media user, whether you're on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, consider taking a picture of your Jam Pants and throwing a hashtag on it, LEFC Jams. I would love to come back to this later and see how many of us are unified as a church in our pajama wear this first Sunday of live streaming. Hashtag LEFC Jams. I look forward to seeing this later. So a couple years ago, I became a member of Longwood Gardens. It only takes, according to my math, my family of four, 2.63 visits to break even. Um, Super worth it because my wife and I, uh, my wife Kimberly and I visit every single month. Now, I always check out the bonsai exhibit, and, and that has fostered a love in me. I have my own bonsai up here as well. Maybe you saw it during uh, the worship right over here. Um, that is a, a Chinese elm tree that my, my grandfather gave me, and it's been, it's, it's been worked on for, for more than two decades. And so it's, it's a little, it's, it's got some growth on it right now that at some point I'll come back to trimming, but... But that's my bonsai tree. And, and some of this came out of uh, my time at Longwood Gardens. Now, Kimberly, when she goes, she loves the palm house. Well, I also spend some of my time frequently just snapping pictures of signs or interesting moments. Sometimes it's, it's a picture of something totally scientific. Other times, it's just something that tickles me. Sometimes it's both. So I always read the sign about the bromeliad cup and walk away chuckling. Hey, can we put those words up on the screen? Bromeliad cup. Can we do that? So at home, would you please say this to the person next to you? Just look at the words, say it. Bromeliad cup. Um, Those that are running tech today, everyone who's in here who's part of the worship team, uh, can we just say it together? Ready? One, two, three. Bromeliad cup. Did you feel like it was appropriate to say out loud? People at home, do you feel like it was appropriate to say to the person next to you? Um, I feel like it's one of those things you say in the privacy of a doctor's office. So, I mean, in a way, thank goodness we're in the privacy of our own homes today. Um, But I think about what would I say to my doctor about it? I'd say, doc, my, my bromeliad cup is acting up again. It's collecting a lot of water. What do I do, doc? Um, but this is the beauty of nature. Uh, so that's, that's, I, I often take pictures of those things. There's also some amazing seasonal events. When Longwood Gardens uh, does a water show, and then they light the water fountains on fire. Or uh, when the water lily feature testifies to the incredible artwork of Claude Monet. Or there were two other ones. Uh, there's a thousand-bloom chrysanthemum that they are already working on. Uh, but you compare it to the chrysanthemum bonsai, it's, it's marvelous. I, I feel like it shows how humankind has taken what God has created all over the world but put all in one location. Now, these features and exhibitions change with the seasons because with the seasons, plants develop, grow, and they die. Now the sheer number of varieties of plants at Longwoods is, is amazing, and I am most thrilled when they are labeled so that when I want to know what something is, I can easily name exactly what it is. Have you ever noticed plants named after biblical concepts or, or uh, religious items? Ever hear of something called a bishop's hat? Can we show a picture of uh, the bishop's hat to the people on screen? Now that is the original bishop's hat, but there's also a plant as well called the bishop's hat. Can we go to that? And if you look at the leaf structure of such a plant, you'll see that the leaf structure with the, the, the article of clothing that is worn, it's, it's very similar. Have you ever heard of Jacob's Ladder? Jacob's ladder is another plant and it's, this is uh, taken from Genesis 28 where Jacob has a dream of a stairway or a ladder that leads to heaven. With the plant, the idea is that the small leaves on either side of the stem resemble a ladder. And what about Iris Nicodemus? Have you ever heard of this? Iris Nicodemus is another name for the tall, bearded iris. And Nicodemus himself, in Scripture, is an interesting person, specifically in the New Testament. Now, Nicodemus is not featured in First and Second Peter. However, Nicodemus was someone who spoke directly to Jesus about a piece of our primary text that we have today will be in 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25. So if you haven't, go get your Bible, open up the app. We'll use them today as we continue our study of First and 2 Peter in this series, Rock of Ages. Now Nicodemus, as you're turning there, uh, Nicodemus is an interesting character that is treated in a variety of ways. Sometimes Nicodemus is painted as a bit of a shallow thinker. Um, befuddled by the words of Jesus other times his color is a little more heroic and even other times it's traitorous now Nicodemus and my own name Nicholas have the same meaning the people's victory did you know that there is a town named Nicodemus it is the only remaining Western community established by African-Americans after the Civil War. I learned this just before I read a scholar outline how after the U.S. Civil War, Nicodemus, the biblical character, was a model of new birth for slaves as they sought to cast off this oppressive identity. If I had been subjected to, to racial oppression, poverty, not having enough food, or crushing debt, I... I would be looking for a place that would declare a people's victory. So Nicodemus was the name of a town, a city, that was planted to be that kind of place. And what state is it in? When I opened this series, I made a crack about Pastor Tony's storytelling regarding his birth state. See how I dodged it? But who knew that it would cycle back to this moment? Lord, forgive me. Today, I talk about Nicodemus, Kansas. So who was Nicodemus? Who was he? John 3 is where we will begin. So actually, I asked you to turn earlier to 1 Peter. Let's let's go to John 3. Let's turn there. This is the Gospel of John. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book of the New Testament. We're going to be in the third chapter. Now, each of these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are in total harmony with each other. But the Gospel of John is the different Gospel of the four and was likely written 60 years after the time of Jesus. It frequently establishes the divinity of Jesus. His divine nature to the extent that we see the three remaining Gospels as balancing pieces because they show more of the humanity of Jesus. The Gospel of John starts quickly. It skips the manger scene. There's no childhood stories of Jesus. There is testimony from John the Baptist. Water is turned to wine at a party. The temple gets flipped. And by the third chapter, we've got Nicodemus. John 3 Verses one and two is where I will be. Let me read. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. (laughs) Nick at night, anyone? (laughs) That's right, just remember, just remember Nicodemus came at night. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, but no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. From this simple text already in these first two verses, we know that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Someone so committed to the law that they have committed their entire life to it. Now, Pharisees were trained up. They were educated. We can, take a, we can take a note from the Apostle Paul, if we take a clue from him. He writes that he himself was a Pharisee, born of Pharisee. It's like, it's, it's, it's good old boys' network. Pharisees would sometimes pick fights with Jesus, and I was reminded of one of the fights. One was about the Sabbath, because the ten commandments said to keep the sabbath day holy to work six and rest on the seventh and they picked a fight about that with jesus as he was healing people and funny to me that they would argue this because you know one of the other commandments thou shalt have no other gods before me if a person places so much value on something they begin to elevate it above god What do we have? We have a new God. The Pharisees were guilty of idolatry. I pick kindly. I really do. I pick kindly on the Pharisees because we too are often guilty of idolatry. And because our interaction with Nicodemus today gives us a more intimate look at a Pharisee, someone passionately and fully committed to loving God and the Torah, their written word of God. We will see this interaction We know from another part of the the book of John that Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin, and that is the Jewish ruling council. This wasn't just a club. It was like the Supreme Court of Israel. There There was so much responsibility, and I believe that Nicodemus was serious about this role as a religious leader. So, think about it this way. When a guy shows up, Jesus in this case, does a ton of good, speaks boldly about God, does signs and wonders, Nicodemus needs to do his job and seek out this man. So Nicodemus shows up at night. Sometimes this is painted as a cowardly move and I don't, I don't think it's cowardly at all. I don't think Nicodemus was a coward. If, if you read the Gospel of John, you'll see in John 19, Nicodemus publicly claims the ravished body of Jesus and prepares him for the tomb. That is not a coward to publicly claim someone like that. Also, verse two, Nicodemus says, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God. Who is we? He speaks for the Pharisees. the Sanhedrin, they have seen the signs, but the signs aren't enough. It was time to talk. We're in verses three, reading through verse four right now. That's John 3. Verse three and four, Jesus replied to Nicodemus, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. This back and forth, it continues through verse 21, which that would be a sermon for another day but it's verse three and four that gives us the phrase, born again. And then you get the response from Nicodemus. I would say that Nicodemus knows that Jesus doesn't literally mean re-entering his mother's womb. He's a smart man. He's playing along with Jesus. He understands Jesus likely better than any of us. And he just continues the use of this figurative language. Now Nicodemus is spiritually astute, but there is still a lesson for him. Nicodemus wants to see the kingdom of God. And a teacher whom Nicodemus declares is from God says you must be born again. But there is something inside of him. He's thinking about who he is, and Nicodemus is an older man. He has lived a life, a faithful life, as he has defined it. He has clocked his religious hours. He's given time for his growth. He's given time for maturity. But his spiritual growth just brought him to Jesus. And Jesus says back, you have to be born again. Meaning, let's take it back. Let's get back to your foundation. In order for you, Nicodemus, to see the kingdom of heaven you need to rethink everything. You need to rethink your theology, your philosophy. You need to rethink your scripture. You need to rethink how you practice your faith. You need to rethink how you think about family, friends, the oppressed, outsiders, enemies. You need to rethink how you think about justice, war, peace, economics. You need to rethink everything. So Nicodemus take it from the top. You and me. And this brings us to 1 Peter. Our Peter text for today is 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. If you would turn there, find that in your scriptures. 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. Follow along with me. Verse 22 now that you have purified yourselves. Meaning, now that you have rethought your theology, rethought your philosophy, faith, justice, economics, wealth, war, peace, friends, family, enemies, now that you've rethought of that, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you Peter has written his letter to, and Peter writes his letter to multiple churches as they begin to face some hostility and some harassment. He senses that this is going to get worse, and so he writes to encourage them, to remind them of who they are. But even more so, he writes to to remind them of who Jesus is. This is a theme from Peter's own life. In the first sermon in this series, the question to reflect upon was the question that Jesus asked Peter in Matthew 16. Who do you say I am? Peter continues to build on this foundation of Jesus in two ways in this specific 1 Peter text. One, he builds on it by making a distinction of the kind of seed that was planted with Christ followers. And two, by addressing The Word of God. Let me say that again. He is building on the foundation of Jesus by doing two things in this text. The first one, he makes a distinction of the kind of seed that was planted within Christ followers, and two, by addressing the Word of God. What was planted, according to Peter? An imperishable seed. everyone listening and watching, be encouraged by the word imperishable. That means that the same seed, the same seed that was planted in the lives of the disciples and other early Christians thousands of years ago produces the same amazing change in the lives of each of us today. This imperishable seed is built on the very essence of, and character of God. There are many good conversations on the character of God. I believe that the character of God does not change and is and has been consistent for all time. We get questions today about the character of God. There are micro questions that come up regularly about the macro idea of who God is. In my own journey, I have attempted to answer Micro questions. We will all have to deal with micro questions. And for myself, simply been explaining hardships away. And I've done so really poorly. But what I do know at the macro level is I trust deeply in the character of God at the macro level and now work in my life to allow a level of mystery. I work to allow a level of not fully understanding everything that is happening at all times. Because then we deal on the micro level. This springs from a question I have had to answer, seemingly simple, but it's often given a really complex answer. Here's a question for you What is God like? I want to give you some time to think about this. What is God like? If you're willing, uh, if you're in a room with somebody else, tell, tell them what words come to mind. Some good answers I have given use some church vocabulary, vocabulary, like God is omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. I have said God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful. I've said God is omnipresent, God is everywhere, and I believe those things, and they sound good and fitting. I said earlier that God is unchanging. There's a word for that as well, immutable, immutable. Other good descriptions. God is just, God is love, God is merciful, God is imperishable to use a word from today. My list of words are fine. I I don't, I don't know how many times I've written them out or how many times I've spoken them in teaching. But in time, they've just become a list. They became a list. Just like bread, eggs, toilet paper, hand sanitizer. There's a certain sterility to it. And so with the time that I have been a believer and I have put put these words as, as a descriptor to God it's 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 become sometimes sterile to me. And sterile is never the word I want to use to describe my thoughts on God. An answer came to me that changed how I read scripture. What is God like? Jesus. God is like Jesus. I believe that God is perfectly and fully revealed in Jesus. I'll be reading out of Colossians 1, 15 through 18. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven with the very essence and character of God as witnessed in Jesus, when it has supremacy, it has the potential to change everything about you. For me, it means I need to apologize a whole lot more than I do. It means that I need to check my compassion and behavior to other people. It also means that because I have a, a, a history of Christianity, I have decades of walking this faith journey, I gotta remind myself to take, take myself down a notch or two in the holiness category. Jesus was the most holy. How did he respond to situations? Did you ever see Jesus turn away from a sinner? He did hang out with the woman at the well in John four. He did chase down a man named Legion, in Mark 5. Who turns away? We can see the Pharisees turning away from sinners. Love was not part of their response at all. They picked up their stones in John 8 with one sinner to end this sinner's life. Jesus gets involved. The Pharisees are testing him, and his words make them scatter. Where are those that condemn you? He says to the person left behind. Not here. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Peter also writes about the word of God. In our first Peter text for today, he uses the thought three times. The first time is in verse 23 when he reminds Christ followers that they were born of an imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. He then talks about things that die and wither and juxtaposes it with the word of the Lord enduring forever. This is an Old Testament quote from the prophet Isaiah. And then Peter wraps up this section of the letter with, and this was the word that was preached to you. Three times he has something about the word. Clearly this word is important. I have a rhetorical question for you. What is the word of God? Don't overly complicate the thought. When you hear the phrase, word of God, what do you think of? When most of us hear the phrase, word of God, we assume it means the Bible. And it's supported in a number of places. Some from other churches have a tradition that conclude the scripture reading for the day, that the reader of the scripture says, the word of the Lord, and the congregational response is, thanks be to God. The phrase is often used in that sense, and it means the Bible. What about when Peter was writing? This is going through my head the last couple of weeks. Peter was writing this in the AD 60s. Communication was not nearly as immediate as it is today with text messages and email. It would take some time for anything written to be circulated well. The Apostle Paul had some letters written by this time in history, but not all of them. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they weren't around yet. The New Testament as we know it today, didn't exist. There were pieces here and there, but as we know it, with the scripture that's, that's on my table, that's not what he had. To Peter, a reference to the word of God in this sense would be the Israelite scriptures, which we do have we call it, for the most part, the Old Testament. And there's something powerful about this text in First Peter, though. I believe Peter means more than the Israelite scriptures when he makes a reference to the word of God. Earlier today, we read about Nicodemus in John chapter 3. The very beginning of the gospel of John begins so beautifully. In the beginning. Do you know any other, any other books or anything else that starts that way? I, I, feel like, I feel like John is the author of the Gospel of John. It was like a genius author move. John goes all the way back to a brick in the foundation and steals a line from Genesis. And, and really, it's not even any line. It's the opening line which this opening line also happens to be the Hebrew title of the book of Genesis. And John writes, In the beginning there was the Word. The Word was in God's presence and the Word was God. The Word was present to God from the beginning. Through the Word all things came into being. And apart from the Word, nothing came into being that has come into being. And the word was life, and that life was humanity's light, a light that shines in the darkness, a light that the darkness has never overtaken. That's just John 1: 1, 1 through5. Verse 14. "And the word became flesh and stayed for a little while among us. We saw the word's glory filled with grace, filled with truth. If your answer to what is the word of God is ever only the Bible, I fear you'll be on the same path as me. Or Nicodemus is a path of right answers, strong opinions, and one that goes on for far too long with little compassion. The risk is that you never read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. Because if Jesus is not at the center of every reading you'll do, you'll miss something. And I'm embarrassed to say how long it took me to place Jesus at the center of every Bible reading. I was rulemaking, rule enforcing, idolatrously ruling as a Christian. And then I heard Jesus. The Longwood Gardens has something called orchid extravaganza. The orchid family is one of the largest families of flowering plants. It is also considered one of the most advanced families. Orchids can be found growing naturally on every continent except Antarctica. I have taken pictures of orchids growing in trees in the heart of the Himalayas. Orchids are also found taking to a more succulent lifestyle where they store water and fleshy leaves and roots in arid regions of the Arabian Peninsula. Many can go months without water. Orchids can tolerate temperatures over 100 degrees Fahrenheit and down to freezing. I have handled orchids that are fragile to the touch and others with petals that are shockingly rigid. There's an incredible amount of diversity. There are more than 30,000 species of orchids. Now culture, culture is an interesting thing. We all believe we're doing the best thing or doing the most appropriate thing. And that exists for our churches as well. The more I was gifted with interactions with people from different denominations, the more I saw how a different culture expressed something from scripture the more I began to think that maybe I don't understand scripture as best as I could what if in the incredible diversity of the world of cultures of the church we are in this space and in this time what, what if we only have some things right With more than 30,000 species of orchids in the world, I bet there have been some intense conversations about whether something is not an orchid or not. Fragile petals, rigid petals, arid climates, freezing climates. How do we describe this incredible, vast family? There's beauty to it. And in our world, we have conviction and we live it out. But with God as creator of all things, God's hand has been in the formation of other denominations and cultures throughout the world. With such diversity, what brings Christians together? Convictions change, denominations change, cultures change. What doesn't? There must be a constant. There is, and it's beautiful. The word is constant. Jesus is constant. But our conditions are not. Our cultures are not. Our denominations are not. Where we worship on a Sunday morning is not. But Jesus is, and we can celebrate that. My prayer for everybody as we engage the people in our sphere of influence is that we have this Jesus constant. We have this Jesus lens in all that we do and all that we say. When Jesus is central to all that we do and say, how can our work here and now not be one of the greatest contributions we can ever give to humankind? It would be a victory for the people. Let me go back to a question that Jesus asked Peter in Matthew 16. Who do you say Jesus is? What rivals Jesus in your allegiances? Pray with me. God in heaven, we gather around the world to worship, to hear you, to learn more about you. Lord, would it not be just about our head or those lists that we make? Would the the things we hear about you, would the things that we read about you all be through this lens of Jesus. Spirit, convict our hearts where we have made an allegiance, where we have elevated something above the triune God. Would our eyes be set on Jesus? in all that we do now in this state of the world and in future states. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Wherever, wherever you may be, wherever you have gathered, I pray that your time was one of reflection and unity with all lefc. For this week, may we have the awareness of our rebirth. May the difficult lessons that we have along the way, would they be received instead of rejected? May we be confident in the imperishable seed that is at the root of all Christ followers. May we see people with the eyes of Jesus. Would we see them as beloved and not problematic and may the spirit guide us in our reading of scripture always through the lens of jesus not for our own victory but for all people church it's been good to worship with you today wear those gems all day we'll see you in this same time next week